0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, I am really glad to continue in our series. Uh, If you're new with us, we are walking through the book of Galatians. And this morning we find ourselves picking up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, go ahead and find your place in your Bible if you have one. If you don't own a Bible... And you would love a Bible, we use the ESV version, and we actually have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't have one, please accept that as a gift from us to you. You can take that, bring it, take it home, bring it back with you, and make notes in it, whatever you like to do. But uh, treat that as your own if you, if you would like to uh, take that with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, so let's read starting in verse 1 in chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay. Now I need to tell you actually how I prepared really working through this portion of scripture. Because I started reading this passage and I can't tell you how many times I read the first seven words in this passage and says, I don't know where to go with this. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's an odd way to start a paragraph. It's an odd way to start a sermon. And I'm not sure where, what is going on here. And so I thought, well, let me pass this. I'll circle around to it. Let me move on, prepare the rest of my sermon, work through the rest of the verses, and then I'll circle back. And so I basically finished my entire sermon and then came back to the beginning of this passage and still felt, what do I do with this? Because let's be honest, no one likes to be talked to in this way. No one likes to be addressed like Paul is addressing the Galatians here. And here's what Paul is saying, and I'm trying to put it in today's language here, and I'm going to read this and what I think he is actually saying. And I'm just going to back up one verse, and so if you're following along, go to verse 21. I'm just going to read it, and then I'm just going to read through verse 1 in chapter 3 as I think it's being written. Now in verse 21, he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What is wrong with you? Are you some kind of idiot? This is what Paul is saying. And I don't know how to preach on that. I don't know how to, I know how to feel like this. I know how to feel like Paul is feeling, to feel this frustration with, with other people. But I don't know how to say this to somebody in a way that is not sinful. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever said this to somebody, maybe a, a roommate, a spouse, a child, a coworker. Whatever, you've said this, or at least you have felt this. What is going through your mind? What would make you do such a thing? What were you thinking? That is what Paul is saying. And it wasn't until I could get my head wrapped around these seven words that I could really understand where the rest of his, his scripture was going. And when I found out what this was meaning... Then it spoke light, it, it, it revealed light into what the rest of the passage was saying. My son's name's Cohen, he's two years old, and we play this game, we play this game, uh, do, who, who Loves Cohen? And basically, when I put him down for a nap or for bed, I say, Who Loves Cohen? And he's like, Gigi? And I say, yes, Gigi loves Cohen. Who, who else loves Cohen? Papa? Yeah. Dada? Kate? Yeah. Who loves Cohen? And sometimes, instead of playing Who Loves Cohen, we'll play Do You Love? And so I'll say, Do You Love Dada? Yeah. Do you love mama? Yeah. Do you love Gigi? Yeah. Do you love Kate? Yeah. And then I I found myself getting into very awkward territory. Do you like Maggie? That's our dog. Yeah. Do you like peanut butter? Yeah. Do you love you know, and then I thought, what am I saying? What am I teaching my son? You love these, these inanimate objects are the same way that you would love your mother, father, your sister. And I'm saying, what am I teaching him about love? I'm confusing him. Please take away my dad card. I'm getting it wrong. And in that moment, I I stopped myself because I was making myself nauseous. Just how disgusting I was being. I was like, what am I doing to my son, forming my son's attitude for what love is? And we use love in, 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 in such... The wrong ways. I mean, we say we will love a spouse or a child, and we use the same word to describe how we feel about the weather or a burrito or free breakfast. I love this weather. You love this weather? And I think when we were younger, we really understood this. Like, kids can kind of pick this out. Well, why don't you marry it then? Why don't you marry the weather? And I think that's appropriate, and we should get that as adults. We need to understand, okay, we need to have a good, a good working definition of love. And this is the problem. We don't know what love is or what it exactly looks like. And so we just bump, jumble up this, well, if you, if you feel good about it, then that is what love is. The reality is love is so much denser so much more profound than just feeling nice things love moves from encouraging and flattering to pleading and begging and rebuking and exhorting and drawing people out and Cohen is starting to test me now when we go outside. He starts to run towards the street, and he knows he's not allowed to do that. And he gets close to the street, and the thing that I need to do that would love him is grab him, bring him over to a dead rabbit in the street, and say, is this what you want? (laughs) Have you lost your mind? These would be loving words, wouldn't they? the most loving thing that I could do for him would be to say, are you an idiot? Look at what could happen to you. I'll, I'll use my words wisely. I promise I'll, I'll, I'll pick the right words in order to do that. But Paul loves these people so much. Can you see that? And, and if we can get this, then as we work through the rest of the passage, you'll understand why he's saying what he is saying, why he's challenging them and the way he's challenging them because he loves them so much and something is so wrong with how they're viewing their life and the gospel and God and the work of Jesus Christ and how it's applied to a person, that he is saying, have you lost your mind? This is of utmost importance, and if you don't get it, you'll miss out. This is the most loving thing that Paul can do. And so when he says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you? Who has got inside your mind and tricked you to believe something that is a lie? So Paul confronts them, not by pointing out their sins. He doesn't sit them down and say, here's all the bad things you're doing. He sits them down. He writes to them and says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about Christ and who he is and what he has done for you. Let me remind you of who God is. And that's what I want to do with you this morning. Because I don't want to, and in no Sunday, and our whole intention is not that we come together as a church and you would find out all the things that you do that are that are making baby Jesus cry. All the things that you're doing in your life that are sinful, all the things that you're doing that God doesn't want you to do, that's not why we're here. We are here to be reminded of the story of God and who he is and what he has done for us. And to receive that, to rest in that, to believe that will motivate a life of love and obedience and and passion for God. And so that's what Paul does. And he starts this by asking a bunch of rhetorical questions. And this is what I love about Paul. He says, he says, "Let me ask you only this." He says, "Let me ask you one question." And then every single verse in the first six, uh, first six passage, uh, verses has a question in it. So let me ask you one question. You ever Has anybody ever done that? Who are you? What's your favorite Let me ask you one question. Who are you? What's your favorite color? Where do you work? What are your hobbies? That's like four questions. That's what Paul is doing. He's asking these rhetorical questions to draw them out, to remind them, let's get to the heart of who God is. And so he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is asking, how did you first come to find yourself changed and accepted by God? How did you come to find yourself apprehended by the love of god where you first realized it and trusted in it was it because you were special was it because you were wealthy or good or obedient was it because you were just at the right place or the right time did you do everything that god asked you to do is that how it happened god came into your life when you cleaned yourself up and figured everything out was it some formula that you followed Did you go to the synagogues? Did you do all the right things? Did you treat others the way that you should? And he says, no, that's not it at all. Remember, what were you doing? Where were you when the message of Christ crucified for sinners came first to your ears and you heard it and and believed it? What were you doing? That's right. You were sinning. You were apart from God. You were alienated from God. And it came to you and you believed. And there was something so encouraging about it when you first believed. And at that time, you trusted in God with such a pure trust, a pure faith, knowing that he was all that you needed. At that point in your life, Jesus was enough. And if you're a Christian, I want you to think about that time. Think about the time that you can remember when you believed Christ, that he not only died on the cross, but he actually died for you. And maybe that happened when you were a child. Maybe it happened more recently. Maybe you really can't pin Put your finger on an exact time and it doesn't have to have this dramatic conversion story but maybe think about just your journey there may have been circumstances in your life and trials in your life where you've come to a point saying okay nothing else matters right now but that christ has accepted me think about what that feels like why would you want to give that up and that's really what paul is asking you know what that's like. You know what it feels like and what it, what it does to your life and the peace that it gives you. Why would you abandon that? Why would you add anything to that? If you want to work at something, why don't you work at maintaining that, resting in that, learning that more and more? That's what Paul is saying. Why would you make your, your faith more complex than it, than it is and abandon the faith by deserting this gospel? And this is what he asks in verse 3. Look at verse 3, it's kind of in part for verse 2, but he goes on, he says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And he's saying the way that you became a Christian is the same way that you will grow as a Christian. And so much, I've said it before in this series, but we think that the gospel is that first layer of Christianity. That trusting in Christ kind of gets us in the door. And now we have to live our life in such a way that maintains this position with christ we need to he saved us now we need to kind of complete the work and he's saying why do you think that they're separate the gospel that you needed to be saved and forgiven is the same gospel you need to grow and to become more like christ i've had people tell me i'd like to be a christian but not one of those really born again christians not those christians with the holy spirit you know what i'm talking about And what they mean is they view Christianity as a way of becoming just a more complete person. And Christianity is not about the work that you do, but rather the work that Christ has done and applying it to your life through the Holy Spirit by faith. Christianity is not about living up to a certain standard. It's not about a formula. As much as maybe you've been told this growing up or in other churches, it's not about helping ourselves so that God could help us. Maybe you've heard this before. God helps those who help themselves. I hope that those, that phrase never comes across your lips ever, unless you're mocking it, okay? Unless you're refuting it. Unless you're saying, but that's not true. This is what the gospel really is. Because he asks them in verse 5, does God wait for us to be cleaned up for us to before we receive that power? He says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He's saying, does God wait for you to clean up your act, get everything together, or is his power come to you while you find yourself to be a sinner before him? It is possible, and here's what I want you to hear, it's possible to be loved and accepted by God while you and us, while we ourselves are in perfect and sinful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it is possible, not only possible, but the gospel states that we can be loved, accepted by God, while at the same time being imperfect, and sinful and broken. Martin Luther, I've quoted him a lot because this was his favorite book in the Bible, Galatians, and it was one of his first books that he translated from German, from, I mean, from Latin to German. And he sat in this upper room and he just translated it. He spent months just milling over it. And this was his favorite book. And he says that we are both righteous and sinful at the same time. And it's this weird paradox. And there are so many paradoxes in the the Christian faith. It would seem like a contradiction. Well, you can't be both. You have to be one or the other. You have to be either sinful and far from God or you need to be righteous and close to God. And the Bible is saying, well, here's the amazing thing. God accepts us even though we are sinful and unrighteous and broken. So I want to just pause and I want you to apply this. I want you to digest it. I mean, I've said, I've said this, we've said this for several weeks and we've been working through it. And Paul has a great way of just saying the same thing over and over again. So I've been kind of saying the same thing over and over again. But I want, I want to pause and, and I want you to think about what you just heard. What does this have to do with how you understand your relationship with God when you mess up, when you're struggling with sin, when you're hurting, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're, when you're tempted. Because we all want God to act, right? We all want God to show up and change something in our life. We say, God, would you, would you come up and let me feel this power? Let me become changed. Let me grow. We all want that. Let me be a better person than I am to give, give me courage and guidance and blessing. Paul calls these miracles. He says, was the Spirit supplied to you and, acted, and, and giving miracles in your life based on the works of the law or through faith? And the way that we get the Spirit to work in our life is not by doing or pushing or acting, but by resting in the gospel. That because of Christ, we are accepted as we are, and, and He is working His completion out in us. And there's nothing that we could do to be more accepted than we already are. The Spirit's work in our life and the gospel and trusting in the gospel by faith are, are inseparable. Trusting in the gospel by faith and the Spirit working out the completion that God started in our life are inseparable. Our, our union with God, and here's, I want to I make a distinction. Our union with God by faith, as the Spirit applies the work of Christ on us, we are in a position of righteousness before God the Father. And so when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we had never sinned. This position is unending. And the Spirit is, is the one that makes us righteous before God. He applies the work of Jesus on the cross to our life by faith. So our union is inseparable, but our communion with God can vary to one degree, to another. And it's hindered by sin. You know what I mean. When you are are struggling with a sin and tempted and fall into a, a pattern of sin, you know there's something missing with God. You know there's a communion that has been broken, a fellowship, a peace, a friendship that has been broken. And you're trying to figure out, what does this mean? Have I lost my salvation? Has God forgotten me? Do I need to get baptized again? Or do I need to become a Christian all over again? Do I need to receive Jesus into my heart all over again? And so we wrestle through these questions, and we don't know how it can work. And what we need to realize is our union is unending as we trust in Christ by faith, but our communion can be hindered by sin. And the best way to be reunited in that communion is to confess of our sin, to repent of our sin. The Bible says, bear fruit by the keeping of repentance, that we should be in this pattern of our life of searching our heart, seeing what is hurting our communion with God. And putting those things on the altar to sacrifice, confessing, repenting, asking for forgiveness. And the Bible says when we ask for forgiveness, confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. By faith, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who is a he and not an it, the third person of the Trinity, makes us right with God once and forever. And the manifestation of the power of God working our life more and more in the image of Christ, goes hand in hand with faith. This means that if we are not growing, if we are struggling, if we are tempted, and if we fall into sin, it's because we are not rejoicing in the finished work of Christ in that area. And we need to realize that the solution is not to try harder, but to isolate areas in our life where we are still living by a works-based righteousness, where we are still trying to earn God's acceptance and pleasure because there's something in our life that we are not feeling completely complete and whole. And so we try to fill that. I want to ask you a question here. Here's a way that we might address a particular sin in a way that is not gospel-centered. Here's addressing a problem without the gospel. God, I have a problem with anger. Please remove it by your power. And you're thinking, oh, Pete, I think you messed up. That's actually that's actually gospel centered. But but let me walk through this. This might seem perfectly normal. Uh, I have I have said this prayer many times, and for different particular sins. God, would I hate being this way? Will you change this by your power? Would you remove it from my life? It looks perfectly normal. It looks gospel centered. But here's where it is not gospel centered. We are asking God, would you address this behavior? Would you address this character? Would you address this work so that my work will change, that I will do better things, and then I will remove this sin from my life? Where the lack of faith, not the behavior, is actually the real problem. Our lack of gospel is the problem. And Paul would tell us that it's our anger or our lust or our lack of self-control or our fear or our insecurity. It's a result of not living in line with the gospel. It is a result of self-righteousness. He is saying, when you became a Christian, Jesus was enough. Why is he not enough anymore? He began as your savior, but now he's become somewhat of like a manager or a, or a landlord. Do you know what I mean? We trust God. You are enough for my forgiveness of sins, but now, could you help me just manage all that's going on in my life? Would you kind of direct things and, and, and take care of this sin and take care of that sin and help me be a more rounded person, a better person? Would you just remind me of what I should and shouldn't do so that I can just not sin as much? But let me give you another way. Let me show you a picture of what it looks like, what I believe Paul is trying to get to. Here's how you address a problem, a sin, with the gospel. God, what is it that I am holding on to that is making me so angry? What is it that I I must have that I don't have that is making me feel incomplete and out of control. Who or what am I looking to for comfort that I must only look to you for? Where am I trusting in your finished work? Where am I not trusting in your finished work on the cross for me as a source of my completeness? Help me to trust in you for my completeness, my completeness, my worth, my hope for all that I could possibly need. Do you see the difference here This gospel centered approach to growing in Christ is not centered on our behavior of doing or not doing. It is centered on what am I trusting in that is causing me to react the way that I am acting? Where have I forgotten that Christ and His work is enough for me? The approach in this second one is obviously longer, and it's harder, and it's less convenient. And you're thinking, gosh, I'd love to do the first one. That was easy. Isn't that easy? And that's where we go to. We say, let's go to the... Well, that's just easier to do. And the thought of entering into this kind of relationship with God is exhausting. It's, it's, com- it's confusing. It's lengthy. It, is, it takes time. It takes relationship. It takes knowing Christ. It takes trusting in Christ. And then you start to realize, well, gosh, those are all the things that I want. I want Christ in my life. I want to walk by faith. I want to know him more. And I don't want an easy, I don't want just an easy fix. I want him to transform my life. In order to do that, I need to apply the gospel in everything that I do. What would it look like to apply the gospel to your situation right now? What are you hoping in, trusting in? Who are you trusting in where you should be trusting in Christ? And if that situation were changed, I mean, think about that in your mind. Just think about, you know, if I, I'm, I'm angry because that person's revealing something about me that I don't like. Well, if I believe that Christ has accepted me in spite of my weaknesses, then that thing wouldn't make me feel so insecure and I wouldn't become so edgy when someone feels, you know, finds out about my weaknesses. Instead, I would receive it with humility and, and confidence that I can grow. Well, that would change. Well, when I lust and am tempted, what am I trusting in there? What am I focused on? What am I desiring that, that I should really be desiring from God? And if I'm afraid, where is my confidence? Is it in man-made things? Is it in people? Or is it in Christ? Where am I trying to please everybody that is making me feel just trapped? Now, there are probably, we could keep going, there are probably like three or four sermons and I, I, need to, I need to end. That <laughs> so we, we can unpack this for, for like another hour, but I'm going to tie it up for the rest of the passage with this. Paul addresses the curse that a works-based righteousness can be. And he says, this goes back to our beginning where I mentioned that the gospel is not about behavior modification. It is about spiritual transformation. It's about soul transformation. Everything we do has to do with a spiritual issue and paul says we should be like abraham from whom we learned that the righteous will live by faith so there are two ways to live that we see in here there's a way to live one is to live by by the law and we all live by something and what does it mean to live by something and i'll just really quickly i'll say it means that we this thing if we're living by something that thing becomes the most weightiest and influential and important thing in our life And we match everything that we do and every circumstance and everything that we encounter in our life is is matched up with that thing that is most important in our life. And if the most important thing in our life is to to be good, to obey God, to be a good person, Paul says we will be cursed. We will find ourselves in a curse. Because he says, think about what you're saying. If you believe that you could be saved by doing good, then you must look at all the things that God says and all the scriptures that we should do and you must do all those things. So be, be careful what you're saying you want to do. If you say you want to, that you want to pursue God, be accepted by God, find his love by being a better person, just realize that you're saying you've got a, big, you got a, you got a lot of homework to do. And the Bible says we've already failed. So we find ourselves locked into failure, locked into a curse. And it's this kind of failure that, is, that leads to alienation from God. And it affects our everyday life. And then there's another way to live, that we can live by, not the law, but we live by faith. And how is this possible? You know, there's only one thing that can change our spiritual condition from being under a curse to being free. And, and we read here in verse 13, it explains to us how is this possible that we can be Re- set free from this curse in verse 13 it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree notice it doesn't say he took our curse but the bible says he became our curse and if he becomes our curse this is what's going on in a spiritual world in God's eyes when Jesus becomes our curse he becomes our sin he is seen as a sinner. And if we look to him in what he has done, seeing that he became our sin, by faith we become his righteousness. So Jesus is seen by God as a sinner, and we are seen by God as Christ is seen, as righteous. Salvation is more than just being forgiven. It is a means of our, a bond of unity and friendship and peace with God that never ends. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 5:21. It says, "For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he were you. Isn't that ridiculous? Jesus was treated on the cross as if he has done everything that you and I have done so that by faith in his work, you and I can be treated like him. This is the gospel. And Jesus is enough. And as we look to him, we are, we are given everything that we could possibly need and want. So that the promise of God could come to all who believe. And when we believe, we receive the promised spirit who applies the work of Christ. On the cross to us, accepted, forgiven, seen as flawless before God, adopted as his children forever. If you haven't trusted in Christ in this way, if you haven't looked upon him and said, you are enough for me. I want you to know that this gift is free. And Paul is reminding them, where were you when this happened? You were a mess. But the message of the gospel came to you and you said, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to rest in it. And that's what I ask you to do. That no one is too far off to receive the gospel. No one is too far gone. No one is too sinful. Think of the people in this passage Jesus takes their place, and he takes our place. Now, if you are a Christian, this applies to you and I just as much. You need to be melted and saturated with the gospel no less today than the day you first believed. Yes, I believe Jesus is enough, but somewhere along the way, you know, I've kind of forgotten, I've kind of become of lazy, I've kind of become sloppy in my pursuit of God, so maybe I need to do a refresher course. No, you just need to trust Him the same way you trusted Him for your salvation. Never move on from the gospel. You never need to. Let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.